At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for being with us all week long. You know the number to call, one 408 7669 Carly Shimkus, fresh off Fox and & Friends and Fox and & Friends First, will join us at the bottom of the hour. But if you're watching Fox Nation, you see who my guest is right now, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Uh, always privileged to have you on, let alone in person, Senator. I'm telling you, it's so good to be in person. No mask. I know. Able to get in the buildings. We, can, we used to take all that stuff for granted. Now we yes, can't. Yes, that's right. So, Senator, let me just uh, should I tell everyone what's on the big three. Let's do it. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. NATO has not grown weaker or more divided. It has grown stronger, more united. With Finland and Sweden's decision to request membership of NATO, it'll be enhanced for all time. All right, Russia takes some land and some prisoners. Uh, the momentum still belongs to Ukraine. We're going to talk about what it means now that, as the president mentioned, uh, Sweden and Finland will probably join. Hey, what about the Ukraine? And why is Turkey getting in the way? And that $40 billion, what are they going to use it for? Number two. Baker was asked why it took him so long to turn over that incriminating text message. And Baker said, look, this is my friend. I'm not out to get him. And by the way, this is your investigation, not my investigation. And it was a really quite shocking statement to come from a justice official. It's unbelievable. That's Jonathan Turley talking about the Durham trial. It advances. Sussman's obviously, obviously exposed there. A very, very cagey Jim Baker But the problem is, as bad as Sussman looks and as uh, pervasive as this scandal is, the judge and jury are way to the left and all in bed with everybody else. Number one. It is not administration policies that have affected supply and demand. How can you say that? Why don't you answer my question? Are you telling me under oath that these policies had no effect? No, they did not. Ask. That is a remarkable statement. Uh, it is. I still can't get my head around it. I thought we could agree the prices were high and the administration has a role, but not according to Jennifer Granholm. Energy and economic challenges are everywhere. The president's overseas. And the problem is they can't even acknowledge that it's a problem. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, uh, welcome officially. I was shocked by the exchange with the interior secretary. She would not even admit the prices are high. And we had the energy secretary in front of us at Senate Armed Services, yes. And uh, Scott and Holly and I all questioned her 
about this. And she would say it was Putin's fault, that it's a global market. And when I questioned her about what they are doing every day, they should be doing something every day to get the price down at the pump. J.P. Morgan yesterday said $6 a gallon by August. We have uh, different companies that are at at filling stations, they're changing the pumps so that they can do $10 a gallon can gas. Can you believe that? Think about this. And all that they can say is it's Putin's fault. It's a global market. We can't have fuel out of Russia. But, Brian, here's the thing. Why are we uh, having to import oil? It's because of Joe Biden's policies. The energy market needs security. They need certainty. And Joe Biden ending Keystone not allowing drilling on federal lands, not giving these permits, doing no more leases. Threatening to take the pipeline out of Lake Michigan? That's right. All of these things cause uncertainty, and it drives up the cost of a barrel of oil, which we're importing 670,000 barrels of oil a day. It drives up the price of a gallon of gas. It drives up the wrapping on every food product But do you know you the buy. theory, Senator? The theory is he's not upset by this. Not at all. Because they want to go electric. That's right. Even though we don't have rare earth. Uh, right. And even though it's, a lot of these uh, plants are run by coal and we don't have the infrastructure there. If yes. they, they want us off gas and oil, so they're pretending as if they're agonizing like this, but it's actually working to their agenda. You're exactly right. This They have wanted $5 a gallon gas for a very long time, and, Brian, they are using this crisis. They're not letting it go to waste. They are using it to push people to electricity. But you go talk to electric power generators, and they will tell you they cannot – reach that kind of capacity for an all-electric energy sector for at least 10 years. And you know what? The Keystone Pipeline, if Biden hadn't stopped it, it would have been finished this December. Million barrels, uh, a million barrels a day. And they're looking to take that uh, another pipeline out of uh, the bottom of Lake Michigan. This governor uh, is still looking to take it out for no reason. Uh, And this is damaging relations with Canada. Of course I mean, it think is. About, think about the security we could have. We could work out an interim deal with Mexico and Canada, not Venezuela. The That's President right. of the United States is dealing with a government that we don't recognize as a country, working out with a Chevron and telling them you can go back into that socialist country, who are torturing their own people, who are yes. propped up by China, Russia, and Cuba. And Maduro is a Marxist. He has ruined that country. When you look at what has happened to Venezuela, and we don't recognize the Maduro government, but yet Biden, in order to not let U.S. oil producers, large or small, independents, wildcatters, get in there and open up these wells and these fields where they know they could mm-hmm. be pumping oil, will not let them do it. Got their hands tied. Do you been following – and I know how much you have up in the air. Have you been following the Durham report? Sure. Okay. Uh, I'm stunned by what's coming out and the yeah. details. So you have a situation where – and the big picture of people at home. This is what I get from very intelligent people that don't follow like we do that are maybe moderated to the left. Why does it matter? They really want to know. And I go, let me just – Hillary Clinton's got an email scandal. Yeah. It's changing the whole complexion of the election. Donald Trump's making great progress. So she did a whole jujitsu. She decides to create uh, through the DNC uh, some type of relationship between Alpha Bank, a Russian bank, and the Trump organization, Donald Trump's organization, which didn't exist. And Michael Sussman is caught lying 
with two Michael Bakers saying, I come here as a friend that cares about the country. Check out this cyber relationship between these two. And yeah. that's what's happening in Washington, D.C. right that's now. That's exactly right. The trial is going on, and Durham has it in D.C. Now, the on the jury, the judge is a friend of Sussman. The jury has a woman whose child plays soccer with Sussman's child. It has three Hillary Clinton donors. So if and one Sussman, AOC donor. Yeah, if Sussman is convicted, he will have been convicted by his friends. But the evidence is overwhelming. You have uh, Christopher Steele, Denchenko. They say this was basically a drinking game. What can we, as they the were dossier. drinking beers and they were throwing information into this dossier, things so wild, nobody would believe it. They cook it up. They give it to Sussman. He sends Jim Baker a text. I've got this information. I want to bring it to you. He goes in lying. Then the FBI cyber guy told them this is not accurate. Rodney You Joppy. had a- agents that told them this is not accurate. But you know what? In order to spy on Donald Trump and then his transition and then his presidency, they all bought into the lie. And this is why people need right. to go to jail, Brian. They need to be locked up. Clinton Incorporated, Biden Incorporated, all of them in bed with some of these swamp right. characters. They need to go to jail. Here is what uh, Jonathan Turley, who's been following this closely, has seen at the trial. This is the latest. It's been going on all week. Cut 12. Well, this was a real pile-on, Brian. You had uh, really damning evidence from uh, Mark Elias, the former Clinton campaign uh, general counsel, and then uh, Jim Baker, the former FBI general counsel. Baker left no doubt. Uh, He said that uh, Sussman came in and did not uh, say that he was representing the Clinton campaign. In fact, before the meeting, uh, he sent a text that expressly said, I'm not representing anyone. I'm here to bring you some really important and damaging information. So he goes in there, and this is what I found out was key, is that when Sussman goes in as somebody, I just got this information I want to share with you. You know, I got this cyber background. Jim Baker's a friend of his. He's an FBI lawyer, not an investigator. So he looks at this. He's, what is he? He well, there's this relationship between cyber relationship between uh, Alpha Bank and Trump. Now, he hands it off to this guy named uh, Hellman. Now, Hellman looks at this and goes, who gave it to you? Because I can't tell you because it's a private mm-hmm. source. But he wants to know the motivation of the person that gave it to you. Because I can't tell you because it's from a private, it's from a friend and a source. It can't expose it. But if he walked in there and said, "I'm with the Clinton camp," but this really concerns me as an American, then do with it what you want. That's calling being honest and maybe being conscientious. Right. But he had no interest in that. Jaffe gives him his stuff. He texts Baker and says, I'm coming in as myself. Baker produces the text. It should be case closed right there because right. he lied. So at the same time, they call Comey and McCabe. Baker calls Comey and McCabe with this information. And as I listen to this, I have this other track in my head that says, does Comey and Baker – and Precept and McKay believe this, or do they say this is an opportunity to take down somebody I don't think should be president, Donald Trump? What do you, just just Senator Marsha Blackburn, from what you know, do you believe they knew about this, or do you think they were saying, These, this is a hot trail, I better pursue it? You know, I build it out a little bit further. Uh, you have to look at Struck and Page. You have to look at the oars, Willie uh, 
and uh, Nelly and Bruce Orr, you you've got to look at how this all came to be. And hate to use a Jen Psaki term, but it looks like they were all circling back to one another and getting confirmation that's or right. getting their stories getting together. their stories together building out this plot deciding what they were going to frame Donald Trump with this is a sad state of affairs and my hope is that Durham is going to continue to get Regardless to the bottom of, what of happens this with that's exactly right because the american people need to know this didn't sound right to a lot of Tennesseans. They've been very concerned about this. And, Brian, they've been very concerned about how this links into the fraud around the elections, the mail-out ballots, all of these things. And they're saying, look, we want the system to be fair. We want people who did wrong to be punished, whether it's Michael Sussman or Danchenko or Christopher Steele or the Oars or FBI, Jim Comey. They want people to pay when they've done something wrong. Because there's no fear of retribution. You can That's do it right. again. That's right. That, yeah, I get that yeah. more than anything else. How come no one ever pays the price for what they do? Right. And that, that's what Tennesseans are saying. If, the, if all of this is true and we see that it's true, we're seeing this evidence, then people ought to be in jail. And it, they continue to say, let's have a fair system. Let's make certain for elections. It's one person, one vote that we make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. Let's make certain that entities like Clinton Incorporated and Biden Incorporated can't continue, that Hunter Biden is held to account for the money he's made. I mean, the NBC report yesterday, my goodness, $11 million dollars. Linking up somebody in Ukraine, somebody in China, and people are saying, what influence does this have on Joe Biden, Senator, the big guy? I, I just laugh because we had that story two years ago. Yes, To detail. Did. If they yes. wanted to break that story, go to Miranda Devine's book, Laptop from That's Hell. That's right. How dare they act like they just broke a story that we've had for two years that the 51 intel experts said was Russian disinformation? Yeah. I mean, but come you- on. How dare they run with this? They, they should be embarrassed. That's exactly right. But the thing is, they're having to be drawn into it now, kicking and screaming and saying, well, you know, uh, Miranda Devine, New York Post, uh, the Devin Nunes and the House Intel Committee, they were all right about what was going on. And, you know, it's really kind of interesting now that you've got the Washington Post and Bezos, and they're kind of hitting back at the Biden administration a little bit because they see what they're doing. Everything they're doing makes the country worse, whether it's baby formula, Afghanistan, inflation, uh, the price at the pump, the grocery store. Everything they're doing is making lives worse. And when you go and vilify corporations as successful people, they have egos, too. Yes. And they weren't going to keep their powder dry. And that's why Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos uh, made it interesting. Do you have time to stick around or you got to run? Uh, I think I've got a moment. All right, yes. good. All right, so we'll take a short time out and come back. Uh, this is Brian Kilmeade, Joe Center, Blackburn, in studio. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Here at first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. talk show that's real this is the brian kilmeade show i mean this administration just just it doesn't seem to get a lot done like and you know um whatever like the, the trump administration leaving trump aside i th- there were a lot of people in the administration who were effective at getting things done so uh but this, this administration seems just just to not have like the drive to just get done uh that that that, that's my it's it's that's my impression. And the administration fires back, points out to everything they're doing. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos going to war with the administration who blames people like them and Elizabeth Warren for the problems we're having with our economy right now. Senator Marshall Blackburn in studio. What do you think of this exchange that's been taking place all week? What we are seeing is that. People like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are saying, look, I want the opportunity to run my company. I want the opportunity to create jobs. I want the opportunity for those employees to be able to build a nest egg. And you, the Biden administration, cannot handle one anything. It doesn't matter if it's baby formula, Afghanistan, inflation. You can't get your arms around any issue. Everything becomes a crisis, and then you do the wrong thing. So here's what Musk came back. Uh, this is what the White House said to Musk criticism. Uh, they fired back at, at Musk saying this. Under President Biden, our economy has roared back. Eight million jobs created, unemployment plummeting, economic growth that outstrips peer countries, historic investment in roads, bridges, ports, and nationwide TV, uh, EV, charging stations. I think there's getting that's getting done by any measure. But count on us as unsurprised that an anti-labor billionaire would look for any opportunity to nip at the heels of the most pro-union, pro-worker president of modern history. Your reaction? My reaction to that is what they had for the first few months was the Trump bonus that came to them. With the economy, the benefits of the tax cuts, and people want to keep those tax cuts. But day one, they started making decisions that crippled the energy issue, that um, crippled that entire energy sector, that made it difficult for employers. It increased regulation. It decreased opportunity for all Americans. And the jobs, they want to say, well, you know, we've created all these jobs. No, you have people returning to to existing jobs. Same thing with cutting the deficit. That's right. And they are ballooning the deficit. Look, there was $6.8 trillion spent on uh, COVID. Then they came in with another $1.9 trillion. Now they they're trying to do another $1.5 trillion. What in the world do they think is helping cause all of right. this inflation? Stop spending. Look, do a hiring freeze. And then also freeze wages for the federal government for a couple of years. Get this under control. Yeah, and start drilling. Uh, Senator Marshall yeah. Blackburn, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us in Good studio. Good to be with you. Thank you. All right. Uh, keep working hard. Uh, back in a moment. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. And here's what 
your president did when he first came to office. He immediately re-entered the Paris Climate Accord. He canceled the Keystone Pipeline. He halted leasing programs in Anwar. He issued a 60-day halt on all new oil and gas leases and drilling permits on federal lands and waters. That's nationwide. That accounts, by the way, for 25% of U.S. oil production. He directed federal agencies to eliminate all supports for fossil fuels. He imposed new regulations on oil and gas and methane emissions. Those were all just in the first few days. Are you telling me that's had no effect I'm on our energy supply? 94% of the oil and gas executives that were surveyed by the Dallas Fed said that administration policies had nothing to do with the increase in the price of oil. I'm not interested in opinions of, of these people. I'm interested Those in the, the facts. So that is, that is uh, Secretary Granholm, as well as Josh Hawley, with me in studio is Carly Shimkus, uh, Fresh Show Fox & Friends, and Fox & Friends first. So that's a little bit of the exchange. It's exasperating. The biggest surprise to me was uh, they were trying to jam that uh, the Putin price hike. I mean, as if we're, we're morons, and as if the American people will buy the fact that the Interior Secretary cannot even admit, cannot even admit, Carly, that high gas prices are an issue. Yeah. And you wore the gas is too high. I know. Yeah. I mean, the American people obviously have memories. We remember that um, gas prices were an issue even before uh, the war in Ukraine. And um, the fact that the Biden administration is even trying to go there or, or say that, you know, it's not our policies uh, that are making gas prices higher. It's the gas company's fault. Like all of a sudden, all these companies decided to price gouging and greedy. No, that's not it at all. Uh, we've had a lot of oil and gas guests, obviously, on Fox News, and they all say the same thing. It's about uncertainty. They're not going to, you know, uh, they're not going to drill. They're not going to create these pipelines um, when they know that shut the Biden administration could just shut them down because these are multi-million dollar projects. Uh, they're also refining oil less. It's down 17 percent. The refineries are a really big issue as well. Uh, so all of these things coupled together is why gas prices are higher right now. It's, so, it's pretty simple. So listen to this. This Deb Holland, this interior secretary, they, they just don't want to admit that they want us off oil and gas. But we're not capable. The Western world is not capable. The planet is not capable of getting any industrialized society is not capable of getting it off right now. You want to go green, but the green technology is not there. It's not that we're not using it. It's not there. Cut one. Do you believe that gas prices are too high? I think that there that Americans are still recovering from this terrible pandemic, and there are a lot of other world um, events that are making things difficult for all of us. So, so it sounds you're unwilling to say that gas prices are too high. We're doing um, all we can, Senator. No, you're not. Not close. The answer is obviously yes. Yes, of course, it's they're too high. Uh, it's hurting the American people. That, uh, this is what we're doing. I know that this is a tough time, but to just gaslight and not answer the question is unbelievable. Did you were you reading? Um, did you see that there, uh, we're expecting these rolling blackouts this this summer? You brought like up California. Renewables. Yeah, across the country, they were saying in in uh, they specifically mentioned I think Illinois, Texas. California always has these things. And it's because they're shutting down power plants faster than the renewable energy can and nuclear get up to speed. too. And nuclear as well. Yeah. So uh that's something that we can enjoy. What a treat. Right. So we all have to have flashlights or how about this, a miner's cap? Why so are we, we going back around, in time? Right, we're not sure. It's, uh, we but people have to act outraged. I mean, I I like to see a massive turnover in Congress 
where he is totally hamstrung. But gets worse, better yet, there'll be sober people on the Democratic side to say, if we don't change gears quickly, we're going to get blown out in 2024. I wonder if that's going to happen. I mean, if even if there is a turnover in Congress, which is predicted, the DCCC has some internal polling, and it shows that um, in swing districts uh, on a generic ballot, Republicans are polling eight points ahead over Democrats, and now they're the candidates. The Democratic candidates are being advised to use the ultra MAGA uh, line, which isn't going to work. But even if there is a big turnover, it really just feels like the mood in the Democratic Party is is um, completely progressive, and they're afraid of that wing of the party. And I just don't know if we'll ever get back to that. Joe yeah. Manchin Bernie Center. Sanders is, you know, they say that Donald Trump has ruined the Republican Party. There's a huge challenge to that because his policies have changed it for the better. Uh, and Donald Trump is a complex uh, candidate, but there's huge upside and there's huge downside. But the agenda, everyone resonates with. Right. When you say MAGA, well, what does that mean? Make America great again? Okay, do you really want to break that out every time? Senator Schumer tried to use it yesterday. So the bigger story that that is resonating, inflation resonates with everyone. Yeah. And the other one is this baby formula. I know. So this is – and then you just say who's to blame. Oh, it's a manufacturing problem. When did you find out about the manufacturing problem? Well, the whistleblower was December. There was uh, huge problems in February. There was a press conference that you ignored. There were letters that were written, and it's all on record. So listen to this TikTok video. Uh, this is the exchange between uh, mo- two moms. Cut five. You have a full car. Look at this. Look at all this. I need to Look at the baby. shelves. You don't think I need it for my baby, too? You think I know you come and you get this one before? This you I just, you you just cleared the one? whole shelves of all of this if formula. You in, if you saw me, me take that, because I'm paying, paying for And I'm not paying for it? This but one. still, this is the whole reason why there's a formula shortage. You take all the formula off the shelf and buy it all at once? You come after me, I don't know, you get this one. You come and you buy all the formula at once. And there's kids... Who need formula today? Who won't be able to get it because you just bought it to stock up? Well, um, they they yeah. they, well, they keep on saying people are hoarding it. I know, as if that's the problem. That's not the problem. In that specific instance, I watched that video and I just kept on uh, saying in my head, "Oh my gosh, the woman that's filming and is yelling at the other lady, and she did have her whole cart was filled with formula." Just ask her, "Hey, listen, I have an infant at home. Can I have um, a quarter of it, please?" And that could have been resolved in a much better way. I think that's also the store's fault. you got to have a sign, you know, two cans each. Well, so it just said they have to do that. Whatever. But, Allison, you have a theory too, right? No, the woman that's hoarding it, I feel like she actually doesn't have children where she's trying to resell it. Because what mother wouldn't give offer uh, a few no, cans? Yeah. And yeah, all she she's saying is, trying to you weren't here first. She didn't say once, well, I have to feed my children. Those words didn't come out of her mouth. It was, they're in my cart. Yeah. Are you shocked that during a time of crisis, um, people handle the situation poorly all the way around? Not at all. But the, the, the broader point is that none of this should be happening. Um, and there were warning signs dating back to last year. In the fall of last year is uh, when this bacteria in the Abbott lab was you know, first discovered. And then they shut the plant down in um, January or February. Yeah, how long does it take what, to fix so, it? Clean it up. So listen, one of the reasons why um, the, they never addressed this when they shut the plant down is because there was no FDA commissioner in place at that time. Because it's so slow to uh, get these people in these in, in positions that are so important. But he, in it, this case, he didn't on, even nominate someone. On the late. tail, I know it's this slow pace um, of doing things. Ambassador Yesterday, I was Ukraine. on outnumbered. I said uh, tr- 
Trump is all gas, no brakes, ba- brakes, and Biden's, it's like the car is stuck in the mud. But right. I delivered it in a much better way. No, no, yeah. I think it was delivered fine there. I thought it was very effective. Thank you. Uh, we have bad news. Bill de Blasio is declaring he's going to run for Congress. I, I mean, you, the worst mayor ever, the laziest, most ineffective right guy, buried in debt because he's, and by the way, he just bankrupted the state, uh, the city rather. Just awful. Uh, him and Cuomo together working against each other hurt everybody, and they got a total pass. Um, that's uh, that's pretty clear. But the other thing with baby formula that uh, that I'm that I'm shocked at is that they knew about this, and they knew that Abbott Labs controlled 44 40% of the market, and that doesn't come up in a conversation. If you shut us down for more than six, eight weeks, there'll be a nationwide shortage. I know. And I've had people write me on my email, say I'm in Mexico right now. They're full of baby formula. Canada is full of baby formula. No one can help us out. Are we trying? Do we pick up the phone and just say, is, you know, a lot of those are American companies. Is there a way to ferry some down? Now we're going to begin with the Defense Production Act to start bringing it home. They're going to land in Indiana. Okay, that's going to really help out New York. Indi- Why Indiana? It's the middle? Well, okay, so I was talking to— now, I love Indiana, by the way, but just how do you get 50 states served yeah. for, with baby formula? No, right. Um, I was talking to a former FDA official yesterday, and he was saying that— Oh, all- I used your sound bites uh, on that. Did you really? Yes. Uh, something that I said or what he said? Sorry. I, oh. I kind of focused on your guest. <laughs> <laughs> right. I apologize. I well, I was, I was thinking – I was. I'm sorry. Let, let me make this point. I apologize for making that about me. Oh I was God. like, why would you – incredible. Well, I was just more questioning why you would ever do that if you were focusing on what oh, I was saying. Oh. Um he was saying that this – this is something also he said to me off air is that the, the flights really don't – the flights into the U.S. Uh, to get the formula from overseas uh, really won't move the needle that much because Abbott has their own planes. And that's something that's really already happening now. And then did you hear the other thing that he said about the um, uh, the Defense Production Act? Is it, it sounds good, but it doesn't solve the problem because the issue isn't that um, there is a lack of ingredients and you need the government to come in, collect all these ingredients and ship it off to the factory. We have- the, the, the issue is that the factory is shut down. So this is – I think that this is one of the reasons why the Biden administration w- – remember Jen Psaki said that the Defense Production Act isn't really good. It's it's not a – it's not something that would work in this case. And then they changed their mind. I think what she was alluding to was that very thing. Like this doesn't really mm-hmm. – this won't really fix the problem. Now they're doing it just because they want to make it look to the American people like they're on the issue. But that's not that's not right. a fix for this problem. Is this your normal shift with us now? I mean, am I on your schedule? Is this like am I a recurring date? What do you mean? Like, do you put me in your calendar, Fox? Uh, the I Brian actually Kilmeade do. Show? You know what's funny? I I do you have just a, assume we're booking you every week. Well, or I, we have? I had a conversation with Peter. Have we made this commit? We've made this commitment. Brian, how much do you pay attention to your show? We've had Carly for weeks now. We've made this commitment no, a while ago. No, you pull a couple of times. Uh, well, and- well, usually I do it on Thursdays at nine thirty-five, and it's. But the only reason I I don't when I don't, it's because I have either have a doctor's have- appointment. Would you like to know about those? How's it going? Or it's great. Everything's yeah. good. Everything's right. wonderful. Or um, if I have something like another show or something that's or in to, a conflicting To time. be fair to you, Carly, we reschedule you sometimes, too. If that's we have true. someone who Thank can only you, do Allison. Thursdays at 934, we then ask Carly to shift to Friday. Yeah. But uh, in my calendar, um, all of April, all of May, and I've even done June, I put Brian 935 on Thursday. Wow. Just to make sure that I don't forget. All right. So when we come back, we're going to find out if we can. you? Are we prepared for more to know? We can do it. Good. Let's find out if if Carly needs to know more. 
Brian gets the biggest newsmakers, William Barr, my guest, and asks them the hardest-hitting questions. Did you ever watch Steve Martin in The Jerk? No. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Just between you and me. Listen, the more you'll know, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back, and Carly Shimkus is with us. And Carly, you were, was Carly the first? No, she wasn't the first. Kennedy was the first news duel That's right. on One Nation. That's right, yes. But you've done it the most. You've really? done it three times, right? Yeah. Right. I think it's so fun. I also like the dueling newspapers. Right, the, the open to it. The, they're like swords. Because I was a little upset, in, not upset, but in retrospect, I said, I think we mislabeled this. Because it's not really a duel, like a fight. It's, it's almost true. as it's a collaboration. It's, yeah. And they came back at me and said, but we love the animation. So <laughs> Whoever came back to you and said that was right. It's great. All right. So, uh, Carly, before you start your weekend, let's find out if you need to know more. Sounds good. More to know with Carly Shimkus. All right. Um, Dave Chappelle's alleged attacker is charged with attempted murder in an unrelated case. So, D.A. George Gascon out in Los Angeles is accusing Isaiah Lee. Um, he says he has been charged with attempted murder for allegedly stabbing his roommate. This is a separate incident. In December, yeah. While Lee was living in a transitional housing apartment, he, Lee pleaded not guilty to the charge on Thursday and is scheduled to appear before a judge on June 2nd. How crazy is that? I mean, this just uh, further emphasizes if, if this is true and he did stab the roommate. I mean... Dave Chappelle's life could this situation could have gone so much worse. Absolutely, God yeah. bless him. I mean, the fact is, there's very few people you know that will be comfortable plunging a knife into you, and he had one on him. I know. Next, ESPN uh, analyst finds that NBA owners are very quiet on their China relationship, huh. but have more than 10 billion invested there. The study highlighted the investments of Michael Jordan, Mickey Arison, who owns the Miami Heat. Uh, the Mets, obviously, the Brooklyn Nets owner, uh, John Tsai, who's Joe Tsai, who I think is from Taiwan. Sacramento Kings co-owner Paul Jacobs. Grizzly owner um, uh, Robert Perer, uh, Pereira. And Houston Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta. And Philadelphia Sixers principal owner Joshua Harris. They're quiet because they're heavily invested there. Yeah. I heard you say this week to a guest about something. You're like, now I'm going to try and act surprised. Right. And that's my, <laughs> and that's my response to this. <laughs> hey, Allison, tell me your theory. I love your theory. So for Brittany Griner, right, being in Russia. Huge story. And, uh, we had the NBA commissioner yesterday saying, oh, we're doing everything we can to get her out. Why aren't they pressuring China to pressure Russia to release her? It's a, it's a great idea. How could NBA get to the right side of this issue and use the China relationship? Oh, that's a great. Um, wow. That's smart. Allison, did you come up with that? You could have solved I, this issue. I did issue. actually do that. Um, that's amazing. Every now and then. It's like my one a year. Well, right. that's you got it down. And that's, that's it. Your you one. could take off for the next six months. I hope they get I'll her out nice summer. All right. Yeah. Next. Oh, uh, forget food. Most Americans turn to Comfort TV to relieve stress Good. or anxiety. <laughs> yeah, but right. look who did this study, though. <laughs> Conducted by one poll on behalf of the streaming service. There you Fila. go. That's so funny. A recent poll of 2,000 adults reveals that 55% watch TV as a self-soothing technique to relieve anxiety or stress. That's more than the number of respondents relax by taking a bath or doing yoga um, over half of people polled, 56%, seek out comfort TV shows or movies that they watch regularly. Um, 
yeah, there you go. That's it. I'm going to stop reading there. I'm surprised. Uh, I am surprised because in a time in which the next generation is not watching as much TV, we still turn to that. Or, or people got used to it again during the pandemic. Yeah, that's right. Also, Netflix. You could just The next episode just pops up before you can turn it off. Before you can turn it yes. off. But Netflix is having different problems. But I do love their new corporate philosophy. Yes. Next, we've been going over this. The Texas two-year-old that bought a dozens of cheeseburgers using mom's phone. <laughs> so cute. She wanted him to play electronics, I guess some type of game. And said the two-year-old Barrett, um, he ends up getting $91.70 worth of McDonald's cheeseburgers. And he also had to door dash to the house. It was, that was so cute. He's a, an adorable little boy. Right. He was on Fox and Friends, wasn't he? Yeah, he right. was. He yeah. talked through the whole thing, just gibberish, as we, the mom was trying to tell the oh, story. Oh, really? Yeah. We, uh, we might want to do use that sound for One Nation. What do you think? Yeah. All right. Thanks, Allison. Allison's like, I already contributed once. <laughs> Next, uh, Wayne Gretzky's Edmonton Oilers jersey from the 1988 Stanley Cup clinching game that still has the smell and stains from the... Champagne uh-huh. uh, is now going to be the most expensive item ever auctioned in hockey. It's already gotten a bid of $400,000. Wow. It was a Edmonton Oilers sweep uh, in five in the best of seven series. The great one will be traded to the Kings afterwards. Uh, he finished the game with one goal and two assists. My question for you. He was as big, almost as big as Michael Jordan when he was playing. Do you know who he is? Yeah. Wayne Gretzky? Absolutely. Okay, good. I do. Also, his daughter uh, just got married to Dustin Johnson, the golfer. Yes. Yeah. She's got quite a body. She, I mean, like, without question. Right. She's an unbelievable looking person. Next. Uh, speaking of, this is, get ready for this one. <laughs> a brain-altering parasite makes infected people more attractive to others. This is a study. A sexually transmitted parasite that up to 50% of the population carries what may actually make people look more attractive to the opposite sex. Researchers in Finland say Toxoplasma gondii may be responsible for a number of different neurological disorders, and it makes you look more beautiful. So you <laughs> might, did I just So read? you might have seizures, but you'll always have a date. Right? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Um, count me out of the parasite transmission. I'm good. Exactly. Nobody's attracted to Carly Shimkus. So <laughs> Aww, I, I mean, I meant shucks. to say that. I'm sorry, Shelly. It's not the truth. Bye, Brian. The Fox News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends. It's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Coming to you from 48th and 6th, as you mentioned, in uh, New York City. The number one city and also number one in crime. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine, we hope. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined uh, by Anthony Munoz, the best offensive lineman in history, uh, famous Cincinnati Bengal. He's going to be talking about the need for fathers. He's got some pro football Hall of Famers helping him out uh, to do that in a conference coming up in June. We'll also take your calls. Geraldo Rivera standing by. But before we go there, let me tell you what's happening with the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. NATO has not grown weaker or more divided. It has grown stronger, more united. With Finland and Sweden's decision to request membership of NATO, it'll be enhanced for all time. Uh, there you go. That will help. Meanwhile, 
Uh, Russia takes some land and some prisoners, but the momentum is still on Ukraine's side as they go uh, get $40 billion from us in USAID. NATO about to add two. But I'll tell you, Ukraine's got to be saying, what about us? We're doing the fighting. Why don't you put us in the club? Number two. Baker was asked why it took him so long to turn over that incriminating text message. And Baker said, look, this is my friend. I'm not out to get him. And by the way, this is your investigation, not my investigation. And it was a really quite shocking statement to come from a justice official. Uh, There you go. Jonathan Tully breaks it down. The Durham trial advances and Sussman, uh, Michael Sussman's devious ways are exposed. And a cagey Jim Baker starts to give away the plot that launched the phony investigation three, excuse me, four years ago. Number one. It is not administration policies that have affected supply and demand. How can you say that? Why don't you answer my question? Are you telling me under oath? that these policies had no effect. No, they did not. Ask That is Vladimir a remarkable statement. Uh, that is remarkable, and I still can't get over it. Energy, uh, economic challenges are everywhere. And the recession looms, according to the experts. The alarming standoff on Capitol Hill as the President Biden's bunch won't even admit gas prices are too high and that it's not all about Vladimir Putin's price hike. With me right now is Geraldo Rivera. Uh, who knows what it's like to live in a family paycheck to paycheck just because it's not your situation now and mine either. We both know what that's like. And Geraldo, the American people are being slammed right now. It's awful. Uh, You notice uh, we spoke this morning about how President Biden's popularity among Latinos has uh, plummeted to record lows from a high of 69 when he got elected 69% down now to 26%. And that is largely, if you look uh, closely at the polls, uh, at the surveys, it is largely because of the economy. It's largely because of inflation. It's largely because uh, so many Hispanic families, those are the people, so many of them, who mow the lawns, who do the dishes, uh, who babysit, who who uh, pack the uh, the meat, who process the poultry, uh, who work in the in the fields. Uh, you know, so, so many of them, talking millions and millions of people now, they do live paycheck to paycheck. And when they have to pay $5.49 a gallon of gas uh, in California, where so many live, uh, or in Texas, even more than that, uh, it really bites and it causes a political reaction. That's why so many are fleeing from uh, President Biden or his party, apparently. And I think it will have consequences come November, Ryan. So I want to give you an idea. This is stunning. And devastating to the Democratic Party. I'm sure they're taking note. A Quinnipiac poll says the president's approval rating among Hispanics 26 percent, 60 percent disapprove. When do you, who do you want to control the House of Representatives? Hispanics adults say 46 percent say Republicans, 34 percent say Democrats. Among Hispanic registered voters, 48 percent vote Republican, 34 percent Democrat. Now here's the question: Who do you want to control the Senate? Forty-seven percent by ten points. Forty-seven percent Republican over Democrat among Hispanic registered voters. Uh, even bigger, thirteen point different, forty-nine to thirty-six. This is why I believe that Cesar Chavez's bust is on, in the Oval Office. Not that he isn't an impactful American, but the when President Biden got elected, he lost Hispanic. He lost a, a, a greater percentage of Hispanic votes than uh, than his predecessor did. Uh, Barack Obama in both elections. And by the way, if you ever want the Democrats to build a wall, uh, let the Hispanic vote go to the Republicans. They'll have, they'll have that wall 100 feet high.
Well, you know, I I think that first of all, let's let's just dissect. That's a big mouthful that right there, Brian. I think that uh, when you examine the Hispanic vote closely, it's not uh, as uh, although it's becoming more united and anti-Biden now. Uh, but remember that in in South Florida, the bottom half of Florida, uh, the predominant Hispanic ethnicity is Cuban. So many of them are Cubans and uh, the descendants of uh, people who fled from Castro, uh, who fled from socialism, who embraced the Republican Party, who embraced, uh, you know, free enterprise as a political model, uh, you know, a liberal democracy. that is spreading now. There are many, many uh, Hispanics. What I was, I remember, I, I remember how remarkable it was when President Trump visited McAllen, Texas. How you had people who were protesting against the president, but an equally large and equally vocal group of Hispanics was also protesting for the president and welcoming welcoming President Trump. So I remember what President Reagan said. He said that Latinos are Republicans. They may not know it yet. Uh, they are, yeah. are family-oriented. They are faith-based. Uh, and I, they are innately conservative in, in the classic sense. They want the kids to come home at night uh, uh, early. They, they work one, two, three jobs. Uh, you know, uh, it is a, a community that has been ripe for the taking for Republicans. And now with Biden's, uh, you know, collapse, uh, you're, you're seeing you're seeing it, and and it is to me very very ironic, Brian, that the uh, the group, the ethnic group amongst uh, which the president has lost most power, most faith, is the, the Hispanic group. President Biden has lost the Latinos, and it is uh, I think a shocking political story that really hasn't been told to the extent that it should be proportionally, Brian. And what the Republicans should do is give them a reason to vote Republican, not just run for Democrats. And my big thing is get into the inner city with a message and a program. And even if it's rejected, you'll start saying, I care. I'm going to work this out. First, you go and listen. Then you come up with some uh, programs, way to help, whether it's flooding in mentors, whether it's flooding in opportunities, or what are you going to do with the uh, broken nuclear family? Whatever it is, Republicans have made no effort, and their Democrats are doing more to get Hispanic votes than the Republicans are doing to earn it. I agree that when you look at the surveys again uh, about what Hispanic families are concerned about and why they've uh, deserted President Biden. Crime is closely behind the economy and inflation. Crime matters. Uh, Chicago today, that violence, uh, that uh, terrible shootout on on the Miracle Mile, 10 people shot too fatally, at least too uh, fatally. I mean, in, uh, it, is, it is remarkable to me to see the deterioration of a, a great city like, uh, like Chicago become really filled with uh, anarchy and disorder. Uh, that is very troubling. Latino families, they, they experience the spillover from that in Chicago and elsewhere. It is uh, a community that really needs reassurance right now that the government is working for them. And they really need – and I think that that's why your idea is so important, to get, to get an energetic yep. federal government – 
to help state and local government to get this crime situation under control, Brian. Absolutely. And as you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of it's gangs. So the biggest uh, – listen to this exchange. I was struck by this. We all know the Democrats want to go green as quick as possible, and there's a responsible way to do it. But we don't have the infrastructure yet. So Deb Haaland is the interior secretary of this country, and I assume Senator Barrasso knew where he was going with this. And on the surface, this question seems like the dumbest question ever, but our answer makes it seem like the most, the most important. Cut one. Do you believe that gas prices are too high? I think that – there that Americans are still recovering from this terrible pandemic and there are a lot of other world um, events that are making things difficult for all of us. So, so it sounds you're unwilling to say that gas prices are too high. We're doing um, all we can, Senator. Why does she have trouble saying they're too high? I thought you were going to do we were going to fight over why. How about I, I, she's OK with five dollar gas, six dollar gas? I, I, let me, again, let me break that down. There is no doubt, in fairness, but that the pandemic uh, and the the rippling supply chain problems, uh, the the cancellation of oil leases early on, the cessation of pipeline completion, I think that 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 is a reason. I think also that Putin is a reason. I think that the you know oil is a commodity; it's traded worldwide. If you, uh, you know, if you cut it off one place and it goes the other place, you know, the places where it's been cut off, they suffer, the price goes up. And I think that Europe and uh, the United States, there's a chain reaction. I think there's a Putin effect, and it is undeniable. Her failure, however, to answer your question, her failure to answer a straight uh, yes, no, yeah, uh, you know, I don't know anybody on earth since the beginning of time who doesn't think uh, $4.59 a gallon is too much money to pay for a gallon of gas and doesn't understand that when you get gas that high, the working person, the drivers who deliver and so forth, they really are suffering. They, that money comes out of their pocket. It's their, They have to suffer. Uh, and, the, and the price goes up. It's the people who can pay least who suffer most. So uh, I, I think it's a stupid answer to answer your question. Brian. But, she, but it you know, was one of those questions where I, ooh, I, 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 they stumped me. She does not want you to. She, she does not want you using gas. You know, she does not want you using oil. So that's why she said, "Well, it's you know, the, the prices are high, and we had a pandemic." Because she just all you have to do is say, "Of course, it's too high." You know, we're just yeah, paying two thirty five. Yes, yes, but do a yes, but yeah. not just a you know a failure to answer. I, I think that, that some a, a stunt like that immediately erodes a person's, in, uh, you know, uh, apparent public integrity and their honesty, their frankness, and it makes everything else they say, it, it diminishes everything else they say. If she had said, yes, the prices are too high, but Putin, but pandemic, instead she said, well, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Geraldo Rivera with me, obviously. Uh, Geraldo, the Ukraine war, as much as I'm, in, uh, I'm very intrigued what Ukraine is doing to Russia, I'm very, definitely disturbed by what's happened in Mariupol. They took about 900 POWs. These are the, uh, the toughest. I mean, the, the word is they're going to go to the, uh, the worst prison camp possible inside Russia. I'm also uh, I'm a little disturbed by the amount of uh, land they have gotten that would uh, create a land bridge for Crimea and take a great, uh, too big a swath out of Ukraine. What, how does that affect what you think our objective should be or Ukraine's objective should be? Well, I think Ukraine's objectives and the United States' objectives uh, are the same. Uh, I am, as you are, 
profoundly disturbed by the success, the quiet success of the grinding, uh, expensive, disorganized Russian offensive. Uh, they are, without a doubt, uh, they've been rebuffed in the north and in the uh, the northeast, uh, but uh, in the east, they're also rebuffed, but in the southeast and the southern border, uh, they have uh, Russia grinded out territory that I fear they will now announce has been annexed to Mother Russia. It is uh, contiguous to Russia. Much of the population is Russian-speaking, uh, and those that aren't uh, will soon be suffering under an occupation by Russia. And I really do believe that Russia, in its much more modest gains, having been rebuffed in its grand scheme to take over all of yeah. Ukraine, uh, they are definitely, uh, it seems to me, about to expand Russia into Ukraine. And what the hell we do about it, uh, I don't know, because it's going to be very, very difficult to dislodge them. Go get them. Geraldo uh, Rivera, you can officially get on your sailboat with your crew and sail to the Bahamas because your obligation to me is done. <laughs> Well, it's been a pleasure, and I, I, as good as I uh, as I feel about this performance on your show, I'd much rather be on my boat, Brian. No kidding. You, I, I, I get that message every day. Geraldo, thanks so much. All right, buddy. Have a good uh, weekend. And Geraldo will be watching One Nation at 8 o'clock. That always disturbs his weekend, but I told him he could use his DVR and tape Fox News Channel. When we come back to your calls, one 866 that Anthony Munoz, the value of fatherhood. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The poll shows people are hurting. Uh, They need help. They need help fast. And they need leaders who can actually get them help now and know how to do it. I do know how to do it from years of serving the people of this city. And so today I'm declaring my candidacy for Congress in the 10th Congressional District of New York. And I want to tell you what people need is exactly the kinds of things that I've focused on before. They need money back in their pocket. We did that. We reduced income inequality. We helped people by getting pre-K and 3K for all their children, taking a huge expense off their plates. Uh, I'm very proud of having led this city out of the worst of the COVID crisis. The worst news you will hear. Uh, Mayor de Blasio wants to be Congressman de Blasio in a brand new district in Manhattan. Uh, It is terrible news for this country. He's an embarrassment to his family, uh, to everybody that knows him. Uh, He is lazy. He's a socialist. His name isn't even real. Uh, there's money missing. This guy's buried in debt. There's money with this Thrive program. Just Google it. I know you're not a New Yorker. Maybe uh, if you're not listening on WABC or WRCN, WLIR. But if you just look, this guy is awful. Uh, Please, somebody run against him. Diane, listening on the Fox News Radio app in Manhasset, New York. Hey, Diane. I was afraid you took me. I was calling because I am concerned about how people are going to heat their homes this winter. I I told your screener caller, I mean your screen person, that uh, we got an oil delivery yesterday, and it was six dollars a gallon. What was it normally? It it was two and change. Wow! And it's crept up. But so now for 170 gallons for $1,040 or something, 
that's crazy, right? It is crazy. So how are people going to get through the winter? I know. And, and the thing is, Diane, a lot of people listening, pay, you, have a, you have a very balanced budget, right? Everything got thrown on its head. You know, some people uh, lost their jobs, have to change careers. Inflation's going up. Uh, you, you know, the if you're in a if you're on a adjustable uh, loan mortgage, you're really screwed because it's going to go up multiple times this year. Your interest rate, and all of a sudden, inflation goes up, oil, gas go up, and then you got the Interior Secretary and say, "No big deal. I don't consider it too high." They have no idea what kind of life the average American lives. So, and now they're going to say, "Well, you probably not have enough. We're going to have rolling blackouts, blackouts as a community." Imagine that. Uh, thanks for the call. Uh, and we'll stay on top of them and try to nail them to the wall. Listen, the American people have to speak out of the midterms and let them know uh, this has got to stop. And the oil industry has got to start sticking up for itself. You know how we see Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk standing up for itself? The same with Elizabeth Warren is beating up on the oil industry and saying they're gouging and they're going to be fine. they got to hit back. Speak up. When we come back, uh, Anthony Munoz joins us. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. That makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. AM bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player, all right? but I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. Uh, that is Nick Saban, coach of uh, the legendary coach of Alabama, multiple national titles, talking about this new age of players getting paid through name, image, and likeness. I discussed this last week on uh, One Nation with Aaron Taylor and uh, Oliver Luck to talk about how, especially big time sports like uh, like NCAA men's basketball and football, uh, you know, they're making all types of offers to these seventeen and eighteen year olds to get them to come. Uh, whether it's the University of Nebraska, whether in this case Texas A&M seems to be the school that's getting all these players. How are they doing it? And are there any rules at all? Can you imagine what Anthony Munoz would have gotten to? Go, would he have gone to USC or would he have went to the highest bidder? Uh, he was a, a number one pick coming out of college and then was uh, perhaps the greatest offensive lineman ever when he was done uh, playing in the NFL, uh, two Super Bowl appearances. And Anthony Munoz, Hall of Famer, joins us now. Anthony, welcome back. Brian, always good being with you. One of my favorite uh, Fox guys. So thank you for having me. Thank you very much. And, of course, you like me better than Hammer, even though you've known Hammer longer, right? <laughs> hey, I told you to kind of not say it so loud. You know, he is a Cincinnati guy, so we got to make sure he doesn't hear it when we say I that. I understand that. Uh, <laughs> and you have this great, you have this great uh, give your fathers an experience of a lifetime opportunity uh, to talk about this father special that you have. Uh, that's coming up on June 19th. But I wanted to get your take on uh, on this whole name, image, and likeness and some panic yep. that people are having right now about college football especially. What do you think about it? Well, let's put it this way. When I came out of high school, I would have taken a in and out hamburger gift card. That would have been enough for me to go wherever. So um, let's put it – I mean, let's come on. Let's be real about it. Right. No, I think – no, I'm all for student athletes getting compensated, but I think it's getting out of hand. I think there has to be parameters put on this. Uh, you know, my whole 
understanding was, okay, Brian, you come to my university, you're going to do a couple commercials for me with my dealership, or you're going to promote my jewelry store, and I'm going to pay you for that. Well, now, now it's just like there's a set amount for every player coming, not only cash, but a car, and I mean, now you're bidding. So I really believe it's gotten out of hand. There has to be perimeters put on it. So here's, I want you to hear this. Here's Nick Saban calling out uh, Jimbo Fisher of Texas A&M, Cut 34. Uh, we, just, we just played that. Uh, here, here's Jimbo Fisher answering Nick Saban, Cut 35. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody. And more importantly, you're taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families. They broke state laws. They're all money. We bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. The way we do things, the ethics in which we do things, and these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. It's ridiculous when he's not on top. And the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. And it's a shame that you got to sit here and defend 17-year-old kids and families and Texas A&M because we do things right. We're always going to do things right. Well, I mean, he used to coach uh, for uh, Nick Saban, but, you know, you see a lot yep. of coaches working away. Which you, which you, I think that uh, Nick Saban uh, apologized after that. Well, if he didn't, I was going to say, Dana White, get a hold of both those guys. Let's see him in the octagon. <laughs> but, no, I, you know what? I mean, I respect Jim Fisher. I mean, it's not illegal. Guys, I mean, they've said that this can happen, so teams are taking advantage of it. The same way I think the, the transfer portal is crazy, you know, teams are taking advantage of that because it is set in place. Why not take advantage? I mean, if I was a head coach young men coming out of high school knowing that the majority of these young men need to support families multiple kids single parent don't have a whole lot we most of us have come from that background so now you have an opportunity to check it out i mean free market who's and but it's not illegal so why complain about it until something's done about it and like i said rules regulations parameters whatever it may be until that's set in place, there's nothing wrong with it. That's what they put in place. So it becomes the ultimate competition. It's not just Alabama, Ohio State, you know, three or four schools now. Not everybody has opportunity. A&M, man, they're loading up because they have the money to pay these young men with NILs. Uh, Anthony Muno is our guest. Uh, so, Anthony, you got this very unique – I've never heard anything quite like it. Uh, you, are, you are putting together – basically a Father's Day weekend. Uh, so you're putting together, you're an ambassador for the Fatherhood Festival at the Hall of Fame Village in Canton, Ohio. It's going to be Friday at June 17th through the 19th. It's going to go all weekend long. You can get tickets at uh, fatherhoodfestival.com or just Ticketmaster. What did you put together? Who's going to appear? And what, what was the approach here? So, Brian, so we've just talked about NIL college football. You know, I talk about pro football and Hall of Fame and Pro Bowls and All-American Heisman. But to me, this is something, Father's Day weekend, that is very, very, very important in our country. Fathers stepping up and being fathers. And here's an opportunity to come to the Hall of Fame Village. They're on the property of the Hall of Fame and have a full weekend with your kids of engaging, re-engaging, continue the engagement. Friday night, we're going to have hopefully the biggest movie watch in the country. We're showing American Underdog, the Kurt Warner story, Tom Benson, Hall of Fame Stadium. Bring your blankets. Come from wherever. You don't have to just come from Ohio. 
watch the movie. Then Saturday, gates open at 9, starting at 10. We're going to have a full day of fathers engaging with their young people, father activities with kids, a combine, and just – but we're not leaving the moms out. We're going to have several tents on the field, Brian, where moms are going to be pampered. Mm-hmm. The dads are going to be working, engaging with their kids. The moms are going to have pedicures, manicures. We're going to have we're going to have the moms huddle. Sean Alexander and Valerie Alexander. Sean played at Alabama, played yeah. Seattle Seahawks. They're going to do the moms huddle. They're going to take care of the moms. And if there's anyone that knows something about being a mom, Valerie Alexander just had her 12th kid, so she's got her PhD in, wow. in being a mom. And uh, so yeah, so then Saturday night, Jordan Davis, who's on the Buy Dirt tour, he's going to do a concert Saturday night. Then Sunday, we're going to wrap it up with a Father's Day brunch in the Hall of Fame and the Nash Family uh, Conference Center there inside. The ticket you buy through Ticketmaster or you go to you know, fatherhoodfestival.com will be for the whole weekend. It'll allow you, after being with your kids, watching the movie, interacting on Saturday, the concert, give that ticket you present it, will get you into the brunch and will get you into the hall, tour of the Hall of Fame. So for me, myself, Mike Singletary, great middle linebacker from the Bears. He's going to be there. We're, the, we're kind of the ambassadors. We're the same Hall of Fame class. Not, it wasn't by design, the class of 1990. David Robinson, the, the former NBA you know, basketball player, and hopefully we'll get more you know, former players that come in, bring their kids. And uh, it's just going to be a great weekend, Brian. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that maybe someone like you can make your way into Canton, Ohio that weekend and maybe do a show or, or maybe make an appearance. So, right. Yeah, well, uh, I know, definitely. That, like that to... offers out to you. Yeah, well, we'd well, love I, to see you. Yeah, I, ho- I hope I can work that out. But I, a couple <laughs> of things, Anthony, tell me about your dad. Well, I'll tell you a couple of things. Never met my dad. He was in and out of prison the entire time I was growing up. So I'm 63 years old now, and I can tell you that I do not, know my dad, never met my dad, but I just knew exactly what I told you. Uh, never met him, was in and out of prison, passed away. Uh, so that was my experience as a dad. So that was my motivation with two kids to be engaged, to get that, to get to know them, uh, you know, to really make them a priority. And, and I played a sport, which you can do that. Even being the best, your goal to be the best and working hard in the NFL, you have flexibility during the season, and in the off season, get engaged with your family. And that's one thing that I really worked on doing. Perfect by no means. Be a part of the world. Be engaged with them. Uh, so that, that was the motivator for me because I didn't have that father-son experience. Uh, and I wanted to, to be that dad that I never knew. Uh, so that, uh, you know, that, that's where I went through. And I didn't, I right. mean, a lot of times we allow those things to, to keep us stuck. I said, that happened. I'm going to use that to build some bricks in my, you know, my foundation. And it went on. And now, you know, I've been a dad for, it's going to be 41 years. And I love every day of it. Understood. Uh, and, the, you know, the gap there. So I remember Roger Clemens would talk about Father's Day being so tough for him because he said he'd see all the other players, even though he was in his 30s or 40s at the time. He said that Father's Day, they always see the fathers come in and sit, meet with the players, especially the younger guys. He said it was one of the hardest days for him because his dad uh, dad was not around. I mean, do you talk to people about that? There's so many situations where my uh, people in the minority community are from non-nuclear families. Yeah, and I do. I have an opportunity, you know, with my foundation for 21 years around the country. And Brian, you know, growing up, I always thought, well, no big deal. You know, I had my mom there. She was mom, dad. She was coach. She was the boss. No big deal. But I was actually in the league in the NFL. 
my wife and kids were at church when it was Father's Day. We had a Father's Day service, and people were just jumping up, popcorn, you know, jumping up, sharing a father's uh, experience, and I just, I lost it. I realized I hadn't grieved not having a father, and as a father, as a husband, I had to leave the service, and I really, that was the first time as an adult that I grieved, and it really freed me up, and it's given me the opportunity to share freely with young people with, uh, you know, regardless of age, socioeconomic background, race, a chance to share with them, you know, because I didn't have that experience. But, uh, you know, when I thought, hey, I'm a big, rough, tough football player, I don't need to grieve this, it doesn't bother me. It did. And I'm glad that I grieved it. I'm glad I got through that. And it, uh, it opens me. But I have a lot of opportunities. And, uh, and I think as an older guy, that's what allows me to work with young people is that they have no clue of what I did. Maybe their grandparents watched me when I was playing. But then I share my story with them, you know, where I came from with my mom raising five kids by herself, not having a whole lot, never meeting my dad, you know, in the community, drugs and alcohol, gang violence. And then that's, an, that's kind of an instant connection with these young people. He's not only the former NFL football player, the pro football Hall of Famer, but I think he must understand what we're going through as young people being raised by a mom, no yeah. dad. You know, so that I'm thankful for that, that I have that opportunity to connect with young people and be there to hear them out, to be, support them and be a friend to them. And, you know, a lot of times, too, if you don't come from a if you don't have a father in your life and then you become a dad, you don't understand the obligation or the impact unless you go and research it. So a lot of times you don't really right. take the job as serious uh, in the beginning because, you know what, I don't, I don't really know how to do it. I never had a dad. I turned out all right. So. I'll come yeah. in, I'll come out, it'll be no big deal, but it is a big deal. It is a big deal. And just, you know, I played football for over 20 years, and as an offensive lineman, I had a coach, a guy that coached me, that taught me, and that's the same approach I took when I became a father. I tried to utilize all the resources, reading materials, gentlemen that, you know, had shows about fathering. I mentors, couples that were fathering, or a father friends that were fathering. I wanted to, to hear, get information, because like you said, there wasn't an owner's manual when we had our kids on how to be a father. And uh, so I really looked the same way I looked to my coach when I was playing. I looked to mentors as a father. As a business person, I have a couple companies. I have mentors that are in the business community. As someone that runs, I tried to get mentored by people that run non-for-profits. But I think that's what we have to do. We have to kind of let the pride go and say, hey, I need help. Help me with this area. And that's what I did as a dad. I read things. Even now as a dad and as a grandfather, write things down, read things, articles and books. And, right. yeah, just try to use all the resources that are out there. And, again, the, the, it is uh, fatherhoodfestival.com. Uh, it is happening Father's Day, uh, the Father's Day weekend. It will be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It starts June 17th, goes to the 19th. Uh, so go check it out. Anthony Munoz, always making an impact. Uh, thanks so much, Anthony, and we'll definitely try to get you on television uh, too before Father's Day. I'd love to do that, and Brian, man, I love talking to you. I love, appreciate all your work that you do. I mean, I you know I, I tell people this: Brian Kilme ever sleep. The guy is one of the busiest <laughs> guys I see. But thank you for all you do. Appreciate. It. I love watching. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's good for a football player to be able to talk to a soccer player. There was a time in which we were just too different, and we, we'd be kept apart. But now we're actually friends. That's great. That's Anthony, right. That's thanks exactly. so much, man. I appreciate it. Um, Anthony Munoz says, no, there's few better. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, I open up the phones. And don't forget, we got One Nation coming up Saturday, 8 o'clock. Repeat it again at 11. Brian Kilmeade Show. That's Saturday on Fox News. 
Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Elon Musk says he's switching parties. Do you feel... (laughs) Like that could spell trouble for Democrats in the midterms if someone so prominent uh, is leaving the Democratic Party? Uh, I don't follow Elon Musk. So, you know, he does what he wants to do. But, I mean, he says he's voted Democrat his whole life. Now he's voting Republican. I mean, Fine. I'll go find somebody else who says the opposite. I mean, who cares? Uh, Elizabeth Warren, very open, a lot of give and take there, and very kind. Uh, she also says he's got to pay his fair share and said Jeff Bezos doesn't. She's tired of billionaires not paying their money. Now, uh, I think Republicans are smart not to go to bat for billionaires, whether it's Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, or Warren Buffett. But uh, I would say the one thing you have to say is they've got to be incentivized for the, for the entrepreneurs amongst us to go out and take some chances. And there are tax breaks that go along with it. There's a tremendous capital risks that happen. And what these guys are doing simply, as has been explained to me, is Jeff Bezos forms this company. It takes years of losses. Then they go public. Uh, they start making a profit. And Amazon's one of the most profitable companies in the history of the world. So at that time, he will back off. Now he's no longer CEO. And give himself a minimal salary of $100,000. And then most of his value, it will be in stock. And when you want to go buy a yacht or a mansion or an island or a country, he will take out a loan and he'll pay back that loan at a certain amount of percent. Anyone will lend it to him. They know he's good for it, but you don't pay taxes on anything I just mentioned. But you are paying corporate taxes. You are hiring a ton of people. You are from the from the trucks to the people who work in manufacturing. You're helping get industries because people send their products over to Amazon. They ship it out. So everything from the envelopes they go out into the people that they hire. He's creating all these jobs who are create, getting all these benefits, who are able to raise these families and buy these houses. That's the ripple effect. So I think it's oversimplistic. It's simplistic to say, oh, the guy doesn't pay income taxes. That's a small bet. Okay. Let's say he does, and they talk about his net worth. They want to pay on net worth. I don't know. What is net worth? Taking tremendous risk on a regular basis. For example, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world, right? Well, he leveraged a whole bunch of his Tesla stock and his SpaceX stock in order to buy Twitter. How much is he worth? Where's the money? You can't tax somebody on how much they're worth because it fluctuates. Tesla stock was worth a lot more three weeks ago. So... Is it all going to be about in January? How much does he owe? Where's the t- stock at? It's impossible. But to, to, to characterize rich, successful people as selfish, that Senator Elizabeth Warren is doing, that the president's going out of his way to do, the White House was ever tweeting you know, in Joe Biden's name or the White House, that's what they're doing. It's a total distraction. And that was pointed out by Jeff Bezos who's a big supporter of everything Democratic, who writes for the Washington Post, who ignored the Hunter laptop story that allowed President Biden to get elected. You've alienated this guy. So I don't know how you did it, but you did it. So that's what's taking place right now, and you're going to see the billionaire battles uh, with Joe Biden as he goes overseas. Uh, And now he's in uh, South Korea. He's going to go over to Japan. I would love to see him go over to Taiwan. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you are. If you want to go win the war in history... Go to BrianKillMe.com. Pick out any of my books, including President and the Freedom Fighter, and learn how great our country is. Don't move.
From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for being there all week long, everybody. We're coming to you from Midtown Manhattan. We're heard around the country, heard around the world, hopefully in the Ukraine. Jonathan Isaac will be with us at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk a little bit of uh, NBA basketball. The playoffs have been phenomenal. Uh, Orlando Magic uh, uh, forward. He's a guy who has a book called Why I Stand, and that's why he stood. Uh, African-American outstanding player who did not take a knee when everybody else was. Shannon Bream will be standing strong with us in a matter of moments. She does not have to get up until like 1 in the afternoon. She got up a little bit early for us uh, because that's how much she likes radio. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. NATO has not grown weaker or more divided, it has grown stronger, more united. With Finland and Sweden's decision to request membership in NATO, it'll be enhanced for all time. Yeah, absolutely. Russia takes some land and some prisoners, but the momentum is on Ukraine's side. As they get $40 billion more for the U.S., NATO is about to get stronger. Number two. Baker was asked why it took him so long to turn over that incriminating text message. And Baker said, look, this is my friend. I'm not out to get him. And by the way, this is your investigation, not my investigation. And it was a really quite shocking statement to come from a justice officials. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Trilley all over this. Storm trial, trial advances. Uh, Jeff uh, Mike Sussman, stevious ways exposed as a cagey Jim Baker of the FBI, starts to give away the plot that launched the phony investigation. But is the jury listening? Number one. It is not administration policies that have affected supply and demand. How can you say that? Why don't you answer my question? Are you telling me, under oath that these policies had no effect. No, they did not. Ask That is Vladimir a remarkable Putin. statement. Uh, Jennifer Granholm, energy secretary, and economic challenges are everywhere. Yes, as a recession looms, according to so many experts, the alarming standoff on Capitol Hill as the Biden bunch in charge don't seem to understand or see any issues or understand what the American people uh, actually feel. Uh, meanwhile, just keep in mind before I go to Shannon, if you ever miss the show or want to catch the podcast on your schedule, BrianKillMeShow.com, uh, you can get us on Spotify or anything else. Uh, Shannon, welcome back. Happy Friday. Right, is this one of those weeks where you can't wait to be over? Um, it's You know what? It's the first week in a long time that I'm not traveling on the weekend or working on the weekend or promoting the book this weekend. So oh, wow. I'm basically going to live the exact opposite of Brian Kilmeade's life. The mothers weekend, and daughters. Which of, I will do nothing. Uh, the mothers and daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families, uh, bestseller. Shannon, did you do a lot of traveling for the book? I did. I mean, uh, and I still continue to some. I'm speaking at churches and women's conferences and stuff, and I love that because, you know, you get to meet folks face-to-face. I know when you go do your book tours, the same thing. I mean, it's so much fun to meet people. Right. Uh, I do like meeting people. And, uh, and they like meeting you. And, the, and they like meeting you. Back at yeah. you. So, <laughs> Shannon, we can go so many different directions, but i like to go with the dorm trial if we could. And basically what we have is a jury and a judge very interested in, you would think, uh, I, I think conflicted. You got an AOC supporter. You got Hillary Clinton supporters. You have 
uh, one of the juries has a kid that plays on a Mike Sussman's daughter's soccer team. Uh, mm-hmm. a, I mean, uh, a judge with links to the Attorney General Merrick Garland. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, everybody wants to feel like our judicial system is above board, that people can make you know good decisions about um, – Looking at the evidence, being totally neutral, um, but we're all human beings and have opinions and come in with, um, you know, viewpoints on the world. And so I would be a little concerned if I were the prosecutors about some of the people who are on this jury. Um, and they keep doing, which I think is wise to say this is not about President Trump, whether you love him, whether you hate him, whether you think this stuff is true or not. What it's about is whether somebody lied to the FBI or tried to mislead the FBI to make it a political tool for a campaign. And I think if you can focus the jurors on that, that, it's still going to be a hard sell. The prosecution always has the burden. It's the way it should be in our judicial system. But I would be a little bit cringy about some of those jurors if I'm the prosecution trying to trying to win them over All right, to get so, a guilty verdict. Yeah, so a couple of things. So it looks like uh, Michael Sussman, I mean, how do you possibly justify the fact that he might be innocent? There's a text message saying, I'm going to go see you, Mike Baker. You're an FBI attorney, and I'm coming just representing myself. Why is that key? Not only because you, because you look at the material, judging by the point of view of the person. And if he knows that this is for Hillary Clinton, then he's going to say, listen, this, this is an advantage towards your, towards your campaign, towards your client. I have to take that into account. Plus, when you come in as yourself, I did not know this. You got to stay anonymous. So when Baker hands this off uh, to Hellman to look at the case and see if there's anything, if they there, there, Hellman says basically, oh, "Who is this guy?" He goes, "I can't tell you because I'm keeping his, I'm keeping his identity secret on his request." So that there starts the mystery. Well, but there's also this argument, hey, everybody knew he worked for Hillary in, in the DNC. Like, he wasn't trying to conceal that. Everybody knew that he had done work for her and for them in the past. So that, to me, is a complete opposite argument, because if you're saying, oh, he wasn't trying to hide anything, we knew that he had operated for them in the past, you have to take everything through that lens. You have to, and, and the FBI did. I mean, they went through and found there's nothing to this. This was kind of a waste of our time. We thought it was important as a potential national security situation. But our vetting showed us relatively quickly that there was no there there with this particular allegation. It just wasn't there. So to say on the one hand, hey, everybody knew he'd worked for Hillary in the DNC in the past. He wasn't hiding that, too. Oh, there, none of those interests factored into what he came and laid in our lap. Uh, I don't know that you can have it both ways. So Baker picked up the phone, Mike Baker, the lawyer, and called Bill Priestept, who, who does an investigator, and described the source as a serious lawyer with a background in cybersecurity. Baker told Priestept that Sussman was didn't use his name, was acting on his own and not for his client. A second person got that message now from Baker, Baker who got it from Sussman. Then he relays it to Precept. Now, next thing you know, whatever you think about Baker, whatever Baker thinks about the quality of the lead, he tells McCabe, he tells Comey about all these alleged links between Donald Trump and Alpha Bank, which is a Russian bank, and through cybersecurity, this guy Rodney Jaffe was the one who got the information to Sussman, and Sussman thought, representing Hillary Clinton, why don't I plant the seed with my buddy in the FBI? At the same time, they're working the press, trying to get the New York Times and Wall Street Journal to write the story, correct? Yeah, and that's the thing, too, saying, hey, this stuff is about to hit the press, so it's really important that the FBI get on investigating it because some of the evidence or the, the alleged links, those may go away if you don't hurry up and investigate this because the press is going to get a hold of it, and then the people who are, quote-unquote, doing bad things are going to be able to go back and hide their trail and paper over this. 
So there were all kinds of false urgencies. And listen, even if you think somebody was telling the technical truth about some of this stuff, it really was crossing the line and blurring the lines. The spirit of the law, I would say, if you know that somebody has worked on behalf of these particular clients in the past and you're passing along the information, not giving the name because, hello, everybody understands this person has worked for particular interests in the past, but blatantly saying they came to me on their own, this is not from a campaign, you got to wonder why that was so adamantly passed along if it's questionable at best. Right. Here's what Jonathan Turley said, though. He's observed from Jim Baker. Cut 13. Yeah, and there was also an interesting moment where Baker was asked why it took him so long to turn over that incriminating text message. And Baker said, look, this is my friend. I'm not out to get him. And by the way, this is your investigation, not my investigation. And it was a really quite shocking statement to come from a justice official, sort of like, you know, don't, you know, you shouldn't expect me to be working for your prosecution. Which is nuts, right? I mean, he's my friend. I'm looking to cover for him. You're an FBI agent. You're an FBI lawyer. He's my friend. I'm going to cover for him. I got to think at some point Baker realized that there was more to this, especially when when the alleged leads just went flat, that there wasn't anything to it, and that um, it, it was just sort of a hollow accusation that it kind of wasted the FBI's time. Um, they got to run these things down, especially if they feel like it's coming into them from a legitimate source, which is the way it was presented, you know, to the internal FBI. We got to get on this. There could be something to it. Um, we want to make sure that none of our leaders or potential leaders are compromised by other uh, nations. And, and, and other interests. So, you know, you got to run that down. But for somebody to say, I, I have to think at some point Baker realized, like, ooh, this doesn't pass the smell test. Like, I, I have this text from him. I have his assertions to me. And they're both, whatever their meeting was, it's, you know, he said, he said. I mean, they can both characterize exactly what was said there. Um, I don't think it was memorialized by Baker at the time. So I think he had to think at some point, like, this text is going to come back up. It's going to come back up, right. and it's probably going to, you know, bite me in the face. <laughs> and so, when, when, and so until I'm specifically asked for this specific thing, I'm not going to volunteer it. So let's say this Sussman gets off, even though clearly he's guilty. The investigation moves on, right? It does. I mean, Durham has been at this for a long time um, to the consternation of people who like him or don't like him or like this investigation or don't like it. Um, it will continue. He's very methodical. And I think people who are, um, you know, very anti-assessment and think that he was totally shady have to prepare themselves for the fact that it's up to this jury. I mean, you may or may not get what you're hoping to get with Sussman, um, but Durham will continue. Right. And she's not going to get anything more out of him. Uh, so I know he has another trial that's going to be in Virginia, correct? Uh, yes, believe so. Right. Uh, quick thing. We know what happened in Buffalo, the horrific the white supremacist, 18-year-old. We, uh, we know that he's mentally disturbed. He should have been picked out ahead of time through a red flag law, never should have been allowed to buy a gun legally, uh, which he did, interviewed as a 21-year-old by the state police, allowed to get going after a, health, after a mental health evaluation. But I, as usual, and I see politics in this, the president does not go to Waukesha after that horrible parade story. Uh, he does not go to the subway shooting, shooting after that guy's rants against white people. But he went to this in Buffalo, which all of a sudden they want to say everything's ultra MAGA and everything's white supremacist. Here is Congresswoman Joyce Beattie, uh, Cut 30. On Monday, three people in Korean-owned hair salons in Dallas were gunned by yet another white supremacy replacement theorist. We are seeing 
the pipeline from racist rhetoric to racist violence. The only problem with that story, Shannon, you might want to get a pen. She's talking about white supremacy. The guy that did it is black. Uh, and most of the uh, attacks on Asian, these Asian hate crimes, which are despicable by, de- by definition, are from mostly uh, African-Americans, almost all. And there's another example. But this woman's making a statement about white supremacy as a black guy attacks an Asian guy. What the hell is going on? I mean, I think it's so hard right now. The country looks around at this stuff, and it's just gut-wrenching. It is heartbreaking. You see enormous pain. And I think that um, what hurts and what causes further divisions is if we're not accurate, as you said in some of these cases, about actually what happened and who's responsible. And I think when we look at things only through the lens of specific characteristics, um, I think, listen, I think we have to look at motivation. I think that's very important. And clearly the guy in Buffalo was massively disturbed and a white supremacist. But I don't think that we help um, get to solutions if we are not accurate about other things. I think we saw this a lot during the criticism of police, and we know that the vast majority of law enforcement officers are humble public servants who take this on every day. Are there bad actors? Yes, as there are in every profession. But there were so many things being thrown about, thrown around about how many police officers are gunning down people of specific race and all these things that were just wildly inaccurate. I think yep. it only feeds the division and the narrative that, um, you know, we're a divided country where people, um, you know, hate each other before they ever know each other. I, I just don't think that's helpful to add to the conversation. We have to call out motivations as we find them, but we also have to be accurate about exactly what's going on and not add fuel to the fire. It's already bad enough. I don't think we need more gasoline. I hear you. Shannon, do you want to tease anyone on your show or do you want to be a big mystery? I love to tease everyone who comes on my show. All right. You know no, what I'm, I mean? Because no, I think it's just I'm, the way to handle things. Well, that's one thing. Um, Maybe I should clarify that. In the business, Business, that means lead up, uh, try to suck people in to watch. You know what? We have, I will tell you tonight, we've got so many different legal issues to tackle that we have four, I think, wow. top-notch attorneys on tonight to break down all kinds of things. And, and one of my favorite things that we've added to the show, too, is we bring on somebody who covers the media. On Fridays, we try to do at the end of the week and cover the highlights and the lowlights of the media this week. And let's just say there are lots of things to choose from, Brian. Yes. We, uh, we, when, uh, when the media goes low, you go high. Right? That's right. We keep it there. Thank you. Uh, Shannon Bream, thank you. Have a great weekend. You Enjoy your weekend. Be home. I shall. 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. His new Saturday show lets him ruin your weekends, too. Take it easy, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I've seen where children are malnourished when they don't get what they need. I never thought I'd see this in the United States. We've been struggling as parents to find formula now for months. So why is the Biden administration just now kind of waking up, caught flat-footed, out of touch uh, to take this on? Uh, you know, at the at the end of the day, parents have to be able to feed their kids and get them the nutrition that they need. He, he, he said, did the Defense Production Act. Why, again, why didn't he do that months ago? Nobody knows. Uh, but he said he can't be a mind reader, which means 
Uh, I don't think that he's not the quickest guy. So I think that uh, fundamentally no one briefed him on it. No one told him about it. Meanwhile, it was out there. Uh, I saw Marco Rubio tweeted that this this was a story in October. They knew about it. Tom, listening. Uh, Tom, listening on WRCN. Hey, Tom. Hi. How you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Well, listen, I've been trying a couple of days. I sent uh, into Fox Friends. I just want to give you a little insight into something I noticed. Let's go back to the debates, the presidential debates that was in September of what, 2016, 2015? Hillary, okay, there is no doubt of what she said. And I want to know, how does she know this? It was like the second debate, and she said to Trump, and I'm paraphrasing, wait till you see the surprise we got for you, you and your friend Putin. I don't have the actual, what do you call it, but I was shocked, and so was Trump. It's like, what do you mean? What do you got on me? You're going to see. You're going to see everyone. The world is going to see. Now, we're trying to prove that this Sussman has a relationship with Hillary. There it is, right out of her mouth. Well, no, no, we know there's a relationship. We we knew he wasn't being honest with Baker when he said, this is just me talking to you, Mike. I got to come down and see you. I got something you're going to want to know. So the thing is, Baker is trying to say to help his friend. Everybody knows that uh, I would have known that 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 he worked for Hillary Clinton. But then he had to watch his own back and say, yeah, I saw this text messages come in. So we know it's happened. The question is, I think it's going to come down to this. Hillary Clinton behind it. Was she actually pulling the strings? Who's the mastermind of it? And then when it got into these main, in the bloodstream of the FBI, did they know that they were going through a false path and want to just make Trump's life hell and hurt our country in the process? Did they know they were going down to a, hunting a false lead? Or were they actually being duped, too? A lot to discuss. Hey, we're going to talk to Johnny Isaac next at Orlando Magic about why he stands, why he stood through all the controversial with George Floyd and everything else, Black Lives Matter. Uh, don't move. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Uh, as we get closer and uh, uh, closer to the end of the week, what, what a great place to uh, uh, to close out this hour with. Uh, the author of Why I Stand, NBA star Jonathan Isaac, first round draft pick 2017, sixth overall for the Orlando Magic. When everyone was taking a knee during the, uh, the BLM riots and the George Floyd uh, uh, death. He was killed uh, by the cops who was now in jail. Uh, but I think two took pleas this week. Uh, Jonathan Isaac stood tall. And in fact, he wrote a book about it, uh, which is called Why I Stand and is out uh, out this week. Uh, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, my man. Yeah. So uh, the Daily Wire uh, publishing your book. First off, are you growing up in the Bronx, WABC listeners who are listening right now, WRCN, they, they know about you being a, a high school standout. Uh, but when, you, when it came to being drafted, the, the thing about you was your values, your ethics, and, and your uh, religious beliefs. Where did that come from? 
Well, that's, it's, a, it's a journey over time, and that's what I really tried to do with the book, Why I Stand, is take people through a journey of my life and how I came to faith in the first place. So I grew up in the church. Uh, my dad had us in church all the time, but it wasn't something that I really held on to. It was just kind of traditional for me. So as, I, as basketball kind of took over and I was able to get out and explore, I kind of lived the life that everybody would expect the upcoming, you know, going to be in the NBA player to live. Um, but at the same time, I still had those kind of Christian roots in me a little bit. But it really came to fruition once I got into the NBA, and the, the book takes you through all of that. So the Christianity laid your foundation, but while so many African-American players were taking a knee because they said what Kaepernick had said is inequities in our society, do you not see inequities in our society, or why did you stand? Well, it's not that I don't see in you know inequities in our society. It's that I didn't believe that for me, it was that I couldn't think of a better antidote or message to the problems that we see, racism and everything that plagues the hearts of men other than the gospel. So I didn't want to go along with anybody's narrative. I didn't want to go along with, you know, an organization or what anybody believed. For them, that was their way of, you know, finding change, which was kneeling for the national anthem and wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. For me, it wasn't. For me, I looked at my life and said, you know what? I know that the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel has been what has changed me, and that's what I'm going to stand up and remind people that we all fall short of God's glory. We've all done things that are wrong, and at the end of the day, if that this world is going to change, we're going to have to love, and it's going to be through Christ. And so that's what I wanted to stand up and say, and that's why I ultimately wrote the book to give people the story behind the stand. Understood. Where does uh, what does being an American mean to you? Uh, well, being American, I, I love being an American. At the end of the day, I think. Uh, um, you know, I appreciate the fact that I live in a country where, uh, you know, we have freedoms and rights and you can become who you want to become. I think, you know, the, the American dream is something still to aspire towards. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to live in America. Um, and, you, and you're having unbelievable success through it. Through your, It's more than talent. It's got to be hard work. I know you're dealing with a series of injuries right now. Was, you, was the Orlando Magic okay with you standing during the national anthem? They were. Um, you know, I, I had conversations before, um, you know, before I decided to stand. I, I, I told the, the president of our team that, that you know, that, that this was a decision that I was going to make. I didn't want to catch anybody off guard. Um, but, yeah, you know, they, they were okay with it. And, you know, they came out with statements, uh, you know, at the end of the day, supporting the fact that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm allowed to make my own decisions. And But, you know, obviously the, the polarization of the moment, there was a ton of backlash. And, you know, a lot of people didn't agree with me. But, I, you know, I, I decided that this was the right thing for me to do. And I just stood tall and, and, and spoke my truth. Where would you get the backlash from? Well, just just society at the end of the day. You know, that there are people who, who equated wearing a T-shirt and kneeling for the national anthem with the literal support of black lives. And, and that's where I differed. Um, again, when I looked at my life, it said my life has been supported by the gospel. I know countless lives that people that look like me and people who don't that have been supported by the gospel. And I was like, this is not the only way to support, you know, black lives. And what was originally stated as a symbol, it became an order. And, you know, the first question after I decided to stand was, do you even believe that black lives matter? And that in itself is the problem, is that people equated wearing this T-shirt and kneeling for the national anthem as the end-all be-all to the support of black lives. And it just not, it's just not. What, what's your view of the organization, BLM? Well, I mean, it's 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 changed over time, and you know, you know, things have started to come out later and later about the way that they've they've used funds. But from from the very beginning, it was it was just the tone of the message, and and almost that the the organization had the had the ability to save the black community, and you know, you know, from the earliest point, I, I rejected that. You know, I rejected the tone of the message, and it's just not something that was for me. I never felt comfortable. Um, 
you know, declaring that Jesus was the answer in the midst of, you know, talking to people who agreed with that organization or not. But I think a lot of people did just get swept up in Black Lives Matter, which they do. Um, but for me, it was that Black Lives don't matter more to anyone than they do to God. And so uh, that's why I decided to stand up and, you know, salvation for anyone, black, white, and indifferent, isn't going to come through a movement. It's not going to come through legislation. It's not going to come through a party. Um, it's going to come through Christ. Uh, Jonathan Isaac, our guest, uh, uh, Mag- Orlando Magic Star. Uh, we're not talking basketball. We're really talking about life, society, and, and America. So Black Lives Matter has been uh, making this, getting a lot of scrutiny because they've got uh, tens of millions of dollars, and people are wondering, you know, what's happening. And a lot of the the questions are coming from the black community itself, saying, "I thought this was there to help," and so many corporations have given money. And uh, again, I was just shocked by how off, how how inadequate Patrice, uh, the the person who runs this organization. Uh, Patrice Crowler's uh, answers uh, have been, here she is describing when people ask where the money is, what she's saying. The way that the right-wing media specifically has characterized the mistakes are truly anti-Black. They are about this idea that Black people, especially Black women, don't know how to manage money, don't know how to manage funds, don't know what to do with money. And um, the reality is, is if any organization received tens of millions of dollars in one to two months time, everybody would be trying to figure out what you do with it. How about just leave it in the account until you spend it? What's your reaction? Well, well, it's just, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. And, you know, it sucks. And there were so many people who did get swept up into the movement because of the phrase Black Lives Matter again, which they do. And so, uh, you know, I I feel bad. I'm not going to say that I'm completely surprised. Again, I don't feel that an organization or the hands of people is what's going to be the answer um, to the hearts of of men in this country changing. I know that it's going to come through Christ. Um, And ultimately, if we can choose to love the way God loves us, which is in spite of our faults, in spite of our failures, I believe that we could see real change. So it it sucks. It's unfortunate. Um, But, you know, you know that these things are coming out, I think, is a a net positive. Um, And we can continue to move forward and and work towards, you know, the society getting better and, and moving forward. I mean, if you think about how much progress, I mean, there's always progress to be made. But uh, I believe that America is the most successful multicultural country in the history of the world and how much progress we made when you look back at even the, the from the 1860s to the 1960s till today. Do you see that progress? Absolutely. And and, and I would agree with you that America is, is, is shoulders above, um, you know, a lot of other places in the world. And that's, again, why I, I appreciate the fact that I live here. You know, one thing my pastor always says about individuals and me especially says, you know, you haven't always done everything right, but you haven't done everything wrong either. And that's the way that I view America, that, you know, the past and America hasn't done everything right, but it hasn't done everything wrong either. And the rights that it has done should be celebrated and the wrong should continue to be worked towards them becoming better. Um, but again, I'm, I'm glad to live in America. And the the message of Ultimately, Christ being the answer is the hearts of men changing at the end of the day. And us, even though there's been progress deciding even now in tragedies like George Floyd, when it is something where, uh, you know, you have this this racist shooting in Buffalo at the end of the day, that there still is room to grow in loving our neighbor past their differences, past what color of the skin they are, and wrapping our arms around people who are going through, you know, tough situations and, and ultimately just choosing to love um, in spite of politics, in spite of sides, in spite of divides. I mean, do you, Jonathan, do you sometimes see some of this stuff and you think it's almost their intent to divide? When you see some of these news reports, some of these speeches, I'm thinking to myself, are they trying to make things better or are they, are they trying to make, make sure things aren't? 
Well, I, I think that there's a level of that. I, I think that, the, um, you know, I, I, I think it comes from everywhere. I, th- I think they're, you know, at the end of the day, people have agendas. People have yep. ultimately, you know, what they want to, 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 to come about, you know, and, and so they can assume power or be the ones that are in charge. Um, but I think it's important for, you know, people to stand up and, and share what they believe in and encourage and not be afraid to, to go against, you know, whatever is the mainstream movement at the time. And just, you know, a, a, a big part of my book as well is just growing in that courage and boldness to stand up for what you believe in. And I was able to do that through developing right. a relationship. with. So, um, you know, that's how I was able to stand up in a moment where it was really tough to do so. How proud is, is your family of you? Uh, yeah, greatly. And, and not just my family, but, you know, so many people from around the country and, uh, um, you know, people have been great. They've, you know, they've sent letters and emails and all these different things about not only the stand, but them reading why I stand right now. So many people have left great reviews and just, um, are encouraged and want to stand up for what they believe in as well because of it. So I have my family, I have my wife, I have my church, my pastor, everybody's so encouraged. And we're just moving forward with the message that ultimately Jesus Christ is the answer. Um, it's right. not about a side. It's about who's right and wrong. It's about us all coming together and choosing to love. And by the way, again, you guys are torturing Nick fans. You get the number one pick again, the Magic. What, what are you guys doing? You already got Shaq uh, one time. Didn't you get Penny Hardaway the next year? And now you guys once again get number one uh, in the lottery for the Orlando Magic. And Johnny, uh, Jonathan, uh, lastly, about getting vaccinated. You made a stand, too. I mean, much like Kyrie Irving here in uh, New Jersey, New York, He's like, I'm not getting vaccinated, and they wouldn't let him play in New York, but he could play away games. What about what you did? What was going to the decision not to get vaccinated? Well, honestly, the decision not to get vaccinated was fairly easy for me. Um, around the time that everything was going down, I, j- I just really just decided to take a step back and kind of view where everything was going. Um, and early on, I could tell that, you know, just the, the, the forceful nature of the vaccine coming on, there were so many people who were adamant about pushing it and making it a moral um, decision that if you did it, if you got it, then you were this good person. And if you didn't, if you had any type of hesitancy, wanted to ask questions about natural immunity and, you know, the effects of the vaccine long term, you know, women and pregnant and children, all those different things, you were, you know, deemed as an evil person. And so for me, I just took a step back and said, look, I'm young. You know, they're telling us that the survival rate is 99.97. I don't have any comorbidities. I'm in the best shape of my life. I don't see the wisdom in, you know, putting something into my body that's not going to stop me from getting infected or transmitting the disease anyway. And again, I've already had it. I've already had COVID, so I had a level of natural immunity. And then to see people's, you know, religious freedom and, and, uh, you know, the religious and medical exemptions be denied, people lose their jobs. It it was easy for me to say, you know what, I want to be a voice for those people and stand up and continue to fight. And again, that's all in why I stand about, you know, the journey to how we kind of weeded through, um, you know, the, the vaccine and all those different things. So. Yeah, um, I understand and agree. That makes total sense. I have no problem with it. There are people on other networks who would be outraged who even made that statement. I'm sure you know that. Uh, I can listen to a whole bunch of people listening to me right now, especially in New York, where they said told nurses, uh, doctors, anyone who works in a hospital that was there through the worst times, you're fired. Uh, get it or you're fired. Get a booster or you're fired. Um, so it's it's been a pretty outrageous time uh, from the George Floyd riots to the pandemic to uh, where we're now, uh, what we're, where, we're, where we are at now, why I stand, the name of the book, uh, the author, Jonathan Isaac, has uh, put it out. It's his story. Jonathan, thanks so much for the quality time. 
Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. And again, I, w- I would just encourage everybody. Um, you know, I really believe that this is something that we should support, not even just because of of who I am, but what the message is. And I know this this book is going to encourage people, and inspire people all over the globe um, to stand up for what they believe in, to develop a relationship with Christ, and ultimately make the world that we're trying to create a better place. And give my best to Pat Williams, the bri- the the man who brought Orlando professional basketball. Uh, thanks so much, Jonathan. Yes, sir. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you. You got it. When we come back, I'll finish with a flurry of your calls. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hundreds of Ukrainian forces have been surrendering to Russia as prisoners of war. And all of that has really put focus on the attention, rather, of Yulia Payevska, who has essentially been in Russian custody since March. It's a window into Russia's brutal war on Ukraine. Yulia Payevska, a Ukrainian medic, recorded the first weeks of Moscow's ruthless assault on the port city of Mariupol on a body camera. Known as Tyra, her online gaming name, the 53-year-old mother found her calling as a medic following Russia's 2014 invasion of Crimea. Through her body camera, she documented this war, including her insistence captured Russian prisoners be treated humanely. Tyra had the footage smuggled out of Mediupol on a tiny memory card and slipped it to the Associated Press. The following day, on March 16th, she and her driver were captured by Russian forces. She was not seen again until this shocking appearance on Russian TV, where Russian media accused her of being a neo-Nazi, comparing her haircut to Adolf Hitler's and claimed she was working for Ukraine's ultra-nationalist Azov Battalion, part of Russia's narrative that it's attempting to denazify Ukraine. But according to the AP, it's found no such evidence. Sergei Chernobrevich worked closely with Tyra and says she had no ties to Azov. She was a real medic, he says. She was apolitical and helped everyone who needed it. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I, I did not. I, this first time I'm hearing that. That is uh, that's from CBS. Yeah, it's from CBS. And this woman, she was, you know, has been documenting all of the atrocities and like helping. Wow. And yeah, she slipped it out to AP, and then they captured her mid March, and she only just reappeared on Russian state television. They're saying she's a neo Nazi. Um, it's an incredible story. And the video, I mean, which clearly doesn't work on radio, is very compelling on everything right. she captured. Uh, amazing. Uh, just a quick update on what's happening in Russia. Uh, they appear to be laying the groundwork uh, to take over certain areas. They're putting in infrastructure in Mariupol and some of these other areas that link uh, the Crimea to other other areas in the east. Russian officials already moved to introduce the ruble currency. Uh, this is not going to work. I mean, the, the, the Ukrainian is going to make their life hell, and the Russians don't even want to be there. Meanwhile, there's about 700 fighters you just heard uh, surrendered, the Azov Battalion. I don't blame them for surrendering, uh, but their life is going to be hellacious now. They got Maybe some of them wanted to fight to the death, and now you might see why. They're going to put into a penal colony, or they're going to be negotiated to get some of them out. The Kremlin will be using the mass surrender to show that they're winning, but no one really believes that. Uh, you also have the Institute for the Study of War that shows that howitzers are now arriving with people that know how to operate them into theater along with those those um, uh, those suicide drones who go in and blow up the target. They're only used once. They're making tremendous progress there. 
Mar- uh, also, Kirasan has also been switched to the ruble. They put in their, their stooge mayors and are trying to take this over. And the question is, if, start, if they're bleeding out the Russians, if it's costing the Russians so much, if they're being so heavily sanctioned, and now we're making moves to totally crush them with massive types of uh, sanctions when it comes to their oil industry, single-handedly supplying and standing up their country, and if Vladimir Putin's really in bad shape, if they say, okay, let's talk now, it's not our call. It's their call. Do the Ukrainians do it? And if they ask us for advice, do we say it? Because right now, years from now, they say the Russians took the most valuable part of the Ukraine and absorbed it. Might this, not, might this look like a success when it's actually an epic failure? They lost about 40,000 people. It's estimated the Ukrainians lost eight. And considering where this whole thing was expected to go and how's it going, the, uh, an epic fail. Got it. But they can't be rewarded by getting this, this mineral-rich land of the Ukrainians. That's all we have for today. i got to urge you uh, for this hour. I have to urge you to, uh, to watch One Nation on Fox News at 8 o'clock. Again, at 11 o'clock, you're going to love the show. We're going to cover it all. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.